is Jennifer and I'm an adoptive mom. Hi, I'm Brittany and I am a foster mom. Hi, my name is Brandy and I am an adoptive mom. Hi, my name is Amanda Robinson and I'm a mom. And I don't put a qualifier on that because I waited a long time to get that title, so that's what it is. I would say the most of the challenges for us probably came before the adoption process during that infertility struggle that we went through. Really for us, the challenge of getting through years of infertility and, and kind of, you know, agreeing that that was time to be done with that. We went through a lot of the ups and downs and the emotions and the frustrations and one day we sat down and we just decided that maybe we should look into adoption. I knew before we, I got married that I wanted to take in kids somehow. It just naturally developed into being a foster mom. The adoption process has many steps, of course. You know, there's the home studies and the paperwork and all the visits. We have people coming to our door all the time, therapists and um, social workers. It's kind of hard when you're going through all of the paperwork and all of the forms. Being open to adoption was part of the process, you know, and there were certainly some bumps in the adoption process itself. Every adoption story is different. There are so many journeys and um, unique experiences with adoption. But that being said, um, in that short amount of time that we uh, went through this process, we were able to form a really good relationship with our daughter's birth mother. But I would say that the challenge that light on my heart was that she did something so wonderful for us that when it was time to leave the hospital and take our daughter home, we had to say goodbye to her birth mom. And that was very challenging for me because she did something so wonderful for us and um, saying goodbye was really hard. Honestly, probably some of the hardest times were in church. Mother's Day, at services at church in particular, you really do have kind of this emotional roller coaster of um, hurt and anger and kind of guilt because you know you shouldn't be angry with God but you are a little bit. We knew that we could be in for a long wait and so you know we were praying kind of for, for patience <laughs> um, most of all but you know praying for things to maybe happen as quickly as possible. For us after looking at all the options that um, we wanted to give domestic infant adoption a try. My husband's side of the family has a strong history of adoption and um, we definitely were willing to explore that journey because our family just didn't feel complete and so um, we just decided why not. I specifically remember a conversation with my husband during this period and everyone in our life was like, you know, how can you do this? You're just, you have so much strength and um, I said, you know, it's not hard. I just I just feel like it's what we're supposed to do and it's going to be okay. Happy Mother's Day, Hope. I'm glad you're here. My name is Eli Sutterth. I'm the discipleship minister 
here at our, our Ankeny campus. And uh, across all of our, our campuses of Hope this weekend, we're focusing just on Mother's Day, on the important relationships we have with, with our moms and, and the women in our lives. Um, we, we just finished a sermon series last week, a message series. We're going to start a new one next week. But this week is just all about Mother's Day. And, and all Hope campuses are talking about lessons from motherhood. Now, when I, I learned I was going to be preaching a message entitled Lessons from Motherhood, um, a couple of details came to mind. Nothing really important, nothing big. Um, I'm not a mom, so that seemed like it could be an issue. I didn't know. And then the other one related to that is I don't have any lessons from motherhood to share with you guys. I'm sorry. I just don't have any mothering lessons. So I thought it would be a great opportunity for me to not necessarily just preach a message, but to maybe act as a conduit for some of the stories of the women in our church who are adoptive and foster moms and to let us learn from them and their experiences and how that has shown them uh, a different side of God's character and nature. I did think I could maybe share some lessons from fatherhood. I'm a dad and I like that and I've got some stories I could share, but you know, it's different. There's a, there's a big, big difference between moms and dads. Besides dads, we get our own day in a month, right? Father's Day is just a month away. We get that day to ourselves. There's going to be a great classic car show right in the front parking lot. It's going to be a great weekend. And, and you know, that's kind of the vibe around Father's Day, right? There's car shows and grilling and golf and hammocks. And that's, that's kind of what Father's Day is about. Mother's Day is a lot different. Mother's Day gives us a unique opportunity to be able to explore some of the emotions of relationships, to explore maybe beyond just titles and labels of what a mom is physically, biologically, but more in terms of what it shows us about our identity, about the identity of people and the distinct differences between who we are and how we got there. One of my favorite poets, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, uh, wrote a poem about the difference between moms and dads. Uh, and I wanted to share it with you because there are things that only poets can say and they say it in different ways. And so this is a poem she called Aurora Lee about moms and dads. Women know the way to rear up children to be just. They know a simple, merry, tender knack of tying sashes, fitting baby shoes, and stringing pretty words that make no sense, and kissing full sense into empty words, seeing as in a rose bush love's divine, which burns and hurts not, not a single bloom, become aware and unafraid of love. Such good mothers do. Father's love as well, mine did I know, but still with heavier brains and wills more consciously responsible and not as wisely since less foolishly. So mothers have God's license to be missed. And I, I, I can own up to that. I relate to that. Maybe as a dad, my, my love is a little bit cognitive at times. It's a little bit more up here. Um, the, the relationship that my wife has with our children is a little bit more uh, internal, a little bit more from the heart, but, but there's also a skill there. There's a skill that my, my, my wife shows me in mothering uh, that, that's described in that poetry. She can make the most childish sounding gibberish from a child into philosophy. She can kiss full sense into words that, that are silly and they do that. And I, I see these distinctions even in Scripture. All the way back at the beginning in the book of Genesis, when God is, is creating the universe, he puts these distinctions in carefully. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, it tells us that God spoke. God spoke the universe into existence. He speaks, and there's light, and he speaks, and there's the sun and the moon and the stars. He speaks, and the, the, the land is separated from the sky. But then he goes to make people, and he doesn't speak people into existence. He says, let us make man in our image. And let's read this together on your screen. Genesis 1:27. So God created human beings in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There was an intentionality there of God creating and putting his image in both men and women. That, that, that women have as much of God's image in their uniqueness and their identity as men do. That, that we can't think of just God as a, a gendered being. He's not. I know we use masculine pronouns and we relate to him as father because that's just how things got written down and that was the way that they put it on paper. But God is not gendered. God isn't put into a, a, a box of, of humanity like we are. God can't even be summed up in just one half of the human experience. There are parts of God's character and identity and nature that he put in women for a reason that men don't have. Things that men can't do that only women can and be for an important reason. God said that uh, there, there was no suitable helper for Adam when he made Adam. And uh, I think that when, when he created Eve, there, there was, I don't think that being a suitable helper is a put down. Um, my, my son is one year old. And uh, yesterday, uh, my wife and I were both downstairs and our kids were upstairs. And Katie said, uh, hey, Eli, could you just go upstairs and make sure Henry's alive? And I knew exactly what she meant. And if you're a mother of boys, you know exactly what that means. You know that guys might just kick it without women around. They keep us alive. That's a big, big help. Otherwise, we probably would have died out a long time ago without the moms in our lives helping us to survive every day. It's important. And not just because of the physical relationship that we have with our children. Again, I think today gives us an opportunity to talk not about labels or titles, but about our identity, who we really are and, and what makes us who we are. Our scripture reading for today calls that out a little bit. Um, Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul is writing in the book of Romans, it's a letter to the church in Rome, to the, the Christians who are in Rome, and he's writing to them about their identity, who they are as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, and all of what that means. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, we'll be there a fair amount today, kind of taking this a little bit slow, because we want to dive in deeply to what's going on here. It says, starting in verse 14, for all you who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, the word adopted there only shows up in the New Testament five times. It's a word that only shows up five times, and they're all used in, in contexts like this to describe our relationship as adopted children of God. Not born, not biological or genetic children of God, but adopted, chosen children of God. And the Greek word for adoption is actually interesting. We don't, they didn't have a one-to-one -one translation from the, the, a word that just meant adoption. It's actually this word, uiathesia, and it's a combined, a combination of two words, uias, which means son, and theteo, the verb that means to appoint or to place, even to make. So he put those two words together to describe adoption as the, the making, the appointing, the placing of a son or a daughter in a family relationship. And adoption was actually a common practice in ancient Rome 2,000 years ago. It was something that happened quite frequently. There are documented cases of children being adopted. There are even documented cases of foster children back then, although a lot fewer than today. But different from how we know adoption is mostly related to children and infants being adopted into a family, back then, adoption actually uh, occurred most frequently with adults. More adults were adopted back then because it was tied to uh, the practice of slavery. 
Now, slavery in ancient Rome was much, much different than the, the, the cruel, the tragic, the, the animalistic and barbaric practice of slavery that we know from our recent past. I'm not saying that being a slave in Rome was, was any great way to live, but slaves had rights. They were Roman citizens. They, 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 they had protection under the law. They were a class of society. They were treated as human beings. Imagine a person who uh, didn't have a family of their own, didn't have possessions or any money or place to live. They would become an indentured servant to a family who would take them in, and that was how they lived their lives as a class in Roman society. But what would often happen is because they came so intertwined with that family over many, many years that that family would want to make this adult a son or a daughter in their own family, to take their name, to belong, to be a part of what God was doing in their lives and in, in, in their family relationships. That was what adoption typically was. And they had to go in front of a judge to court, and it was a legal proceeding, a binding proceeding that says, you are my son, you are my daughter, by law, you have my name, and all of the rights and responsibilities as an heir of my family. That was what adoption was. And so when Paul is describing our relationship with God, it's a metaphor to help us understand that, that we have no biological connection to God whatsoever. He, he has no obligation to love us. God is under no obligation to love us or to accept us or to treat us with anything um, but really indifference as the creator of the universe, but that's not who our God is. Our God is one who chooses you, who chooses to bring you into his family, who adopts you as a son, as a daughter, and gives you all of the rights of that family. One of the biblical scholars who has done a fair amount of the legwork kind of diving into this metaphor in Scripture, the doctrine of adoption, uh, says this about the practice. He says, according to Roman law, the adoptee is taken out of their previous state and placed into a new relationship with their new family. All old debts are canceled and, in effect, they start a whole new life. I was utterly broken when I first met her, just knowing that she was living in the shelter with no parents, and she she wanted to have a home. You could just see that in her eyes. We found out that a little baby boy had been born 10 days earlier, and um, they were trying to square away some legal things, but they were pretty sure that, that we were going to get to be this little guy's parents. We were really grateful to have been asked by our daughter's first mom to be in the hospital when she was born and so we were standing outside the window of the nursery at the time and um, the nurse was just kind of like holding her up and I just remember that she was tiny and perfect and it felt like I already knew her. We were able to meet our daughter the day that she was born in the hospital. We went into her room and her birth mother was holding her um, and she was smiling and she was beautiful and she asked me would you like to hold her and I did. It was like the world stopped and the only people in the world were us and that there was just so much love in that room in that short amount of time that we just got to hold her and it was just this beautiful exchange of love and I will never forget that. Every day was new and every experience, every milestone was wonderful with her and it was just a it was just a beautiful time. She told me it was a girl. 
And that's when it changed for me. I don't know why, <laughs> but it was different after that. We went over to their house in Johnston and this nice sweet lady let us in the door and led us back to her living room where the cutest little guy ever was swinging in his little baby swing and he had on a little blue overalls and the uh, foster mom Paulette said you know oh do you need my help you know do you want me to want me to help you you know pick him up out of swing and, and give him to you and I said no that's okay I got this and I jumped right in and picked him up and pretty much haven't put him down since. Of course now I can't think about it without a tear in my eye. <laughs> but then, I, um, at that time I didn't cry. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but uh, her birth mom was and is amazing and wanted us at the hospital when she was born so we were there so what i remember is how much you love a child as soon as you see them she is not our biological child and walking into that room and knowing that she was going to become my daughter in a sense that she, we were going to take her as our own so i just remember being very humbled with that opportunity how much that child needed someone to love them. I, I really can't thank uh, these women enough for bravely sharing their stories and their testimonies with us. I, I grew and learned through just hearing their stories and walking through this with them because, because that shows us a glimpse, a picture of God's love for us. The, the chosenness that you have, the adoption that you have, again, through no right of your own or, or anything that you deserve, God chooses to love you. And he affirms that by his spirit. This is from our reading today. Let's read this together. His spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Now, in the three verses we're, we're looking at today, the word spirit shows up five times, just in three verses. And I think there's something to that. I believe it actually turns out that, that the, because, because our connection with God is not physical, it's spiritual, that it's the Holy Spirit living in us that helps us to acknowledge and to affirm and even hear from God. That the Holy Spirit is actually the driving force, the main character in our story of God's adopted children. Speaking into our lives daily on a daily basis. It turns out, I think, that, that the, the nature, the identity you have as God's adopted son or daughter and your ability as a, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, to grow in your sensitivity to, your, your inclination of the Holy Spirit are one and the same thing. That you are a child of God, and that means that you have the Holy Spirit in your life speaking to you, actively participating in what you're doing and going through. And then that can be difficult because it's a little bit easier to have a physical connection you might have even wondered in your life, how can, I, how can I relate to God? I can't see him and I can't touch him. I can't feel him. Like I can people in my life who I love, who I have relationships with. And these, these adopted moms, for them to feel such passion and love for children they're not related to, shows us an example of what it means that you're an adopted child of God, that there is a deeper spiritual connection between you and God. And that he is active in your life through the Holy Spirit. In this exact same chapter in Romans 8, just 10 verses later, 
It says the Holy Spirit in moments of your life when you may not know what to pray and you don't know how to relate to God and you feel like you can't hear his voice, it says in Romans 8.26 that the Holy Spirit cries out for you, prays for you, speaks to God on your behalf because you are connected at that deeper spiritual level that God wants to relate to you through. Not physical, not, not by flesh and blood, but by his spirit in your life. That's actually something that Jesus had to teach around when he was alive. When he was doing ministry, he came to uh, the nation of Israel and, and he spoke to, to this people who uh, were called God's children. That, that the Jewish population, the, the, the nation of Israel were called God's children, that there were covenants between Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, between God and Abraham, that, 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 that the nation of Israel would be God's children, covenants between God and Moses, testifying to the exact same thing, that this is God's chosen people, but always with the understanding, if you read those covenants, that as God's chosen people, that they would be responsible for bearing his image to all the nations of the earth. Genesis 18 says that through my people, through Israel, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But over the centuries of them developing their religion and, and identifying with this, this chosenness of themselves, they began to believe that you had to be born into a physical relationship with God in the Jewish line, that you are only a child of God by birth, by genetics, by biology, and that's how you come to be a child of God, and really that nobody else has access to a relationship with God like that, like a father and a son the way that they did. And Jesus came and he said, you've missed it. You have missed what those covenants were about, that they aren't about biology, they're about spirit. He says this to a group of people he's teaching who, who are a part of the nation of Israel in Matthew chapter 3, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we are safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Again, God is far bigger than gender. God is far bigger than the titles and the labels we put on our relationships. Even, even our, 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 our national identity, God is bigger than all of that. God is existence himself, and he, he chooses who is in a relationship with him. By his love, by his grace, his desire for you is stronger than whatever you're born into or, and wherever you're, you're relating. I've even heard this in Christian circles where, you know, some people will say, well, I was born a Christian, or I was born Lutheran, or I was born Catholic, and that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't mean anything. You are born and you have the ability to be chosen as God's adopted child. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible calls us at that point Jesus' brother. We are a fellow heir with Christ in God's family, and God is our Father. I actually think that's why the word Abba has persisted through Scripture. Abba is a unique word. It's actually Aramaic. Uh, Aramaic would have been the language that Jesus spoke out on the street in Palestine during that time. Uh, Aramaic was a common language. There, there are no great philosophies or literature or histories written down in Aramaic the way there is uh, Greek and Latin and, and Hebrew. Aramaic was more like the, the, the language, the vocabulary of your shopping list. It's just how people spoke and, and related to each other, a common language. But they had this word for dad, Abba. And, and thankfully, the biblical translators over the generations, the millennia of the Bible, have not changed that translation into something else. They left it because that's how Jesus talked about his father. That's how Jesus talked about God, his dad. You know, and again, pressing into this reality that God is non-gendered, that God is neither male nor female, that we as men and women are representatives of God's character, Abba, I'm comfortable saying, can, can mean mom as well. 
that that's God's relationship with us. It's, it's the subtle difference, you know what I mean, between a father and a dad or a mother and a mom. Just that slight difference brings it maybe from your head to your heart, allows you to connect internally, spiritually to this idea. Martin Luther actually said that. He, he wrote about this word Abba when he was alive. I had to massage this quote a little bit. It was, uh, there was a TH at the end of every word and it, it was hard to understand. So I, I, I paraphrase Martin Luther's sentiment. The mouth doesn't speak the word Abba, the heart does. And in one word, it speaks with more weight than the most prolific philosophers. You see, we can preach all day long about the Greek and Hebrew languages and, and the philosophies and the poetry and, and theology and doctrine and all those things, but if you strip that away, you're left with a word that spiritually means your heart speaks to God, your relationship is his child, the one he loves, the one he cares about and wants to be in a closer relationship by his Holy Spirit. Now, now tragically, I think that that can be difficult for many of us. Many of you here might not be able to relate to God with this idea because your own mother or your own father didn't treat you with the kind of love that showed you God's love. Maybe in your life, your home was a place of, of dread and fear, maybe even a place of abuse. And so when you hear words about God, that he is your father, you may not be able to connect to that and you might even have a negative reaction towards it because you don't have a context for what that actually means, the love of a, of a parent in the way it was always supposed to be that you actually are more afraid of your parents than you, than you are loved by them or feel loved by them. And, and that's really what Paul is writing about in Romans 8. When we read words in the Bible about slavery, you know, there are other places, other verses that talk about you were once a slave in sin and you're set free through Christ, which is true. In, 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 in separation from Jesus, you are enslaved to your sin, all of the things in your life that are broken. But when you believe in Jesus Christ, he sets you free to live free from those things. But... Paul could have used that word and he didn't when he wrote this letter. He could have used the word, you are a slave to sin. And actually he says, you no longer have a spirit of fear like a slave. You have a spirit of adoption as a child of God. Because he's actually talking about not sinfulness in your life in this context. He's talking about your view of God. That at one time, you might have a view of God the way a slave does a bad slave master. Maybe some of you feel that way, that when you think about God, you think about the, this, this otherworldly tyrant who is only out there to punish you, to make you feel bad, who is angry with you all the time for the ways that you beat yourself up. You think that that's God's attitude toward you and you are afraid of him. You are afraid of God because you don't have a spirit of adoption. And this is what we're trying to do today. We're trying to look at the way that God really looks at you, the way that God smiles at you the way a parent, a loving mother, smiles at their children, the way that he chooses to love you even though we have no right to the choice and to the love, that you don't have to be afraid of God. You can receive his love as an adopted daughter and an adopted son. Now, to help illustrate this this morning, I, I, want, to, I want to read a book. And I didn't do this at any of the, end of the other services, but this is the last one. So are there any kids who want to come up for story time? Come on up here. Yeah, come on up. We're going to have story time because I want you to relate to this too. Any kids, come on over. We're just going to sit here on these steps and have story time. Come on up, everybody. Any kids? Yeah, come on. We're going to have story time. The, the books will be on. Come on. Come on, guys. You can come on up here. Have a seat. Yep. They're bugging out. It's okay. So um, a bunch of years ago when I was a little guy, there was, yeah, come on. Uh, there was a, a book written by P.D. Eastman called Are You My Mother? 
Anybody read Are You My Mother or read it to their kids? Yeah, it's still a popular book. Um, It's a sweet story about a little bird. Hi, yeah, come on over. Here comes the crowd. Come on. This is great. So Are You My Mother was a book about a little bird who fell out of his nest and he began to ask other animals, are you my mother, a dog and a cat and so on. And they all said, well, we don't have physical traits in common with you. We don't look like you. You're, you're a bird and I'm a cat and I can't be your mother. And eventually that story ends up with him being reunited with his biological bird mom. And it's a very happy ending. Well, thankfully, that story got retranslated, reinterpreted a few years ago in a book called A Mother for Chaco. This is a book called A Mother for Chaco. And similar to Are You My Mother, it starts off with a little bird named Chaco who gets lost. He can't find his mom. And he asks other animals, are you my mother? And they all say the same thing. We don't have anything in common with you. We don't have yellow feathers. We don't have wings. We're not you and we can't be your mother because of those things. And so that's where we're actually going to pick up our story and it'll be on your screen too. No matter where Chaco searched, he couldn't find a mother who looked just like him. When Chaco saw Mrs. Bear picking apples, he knew she couldn't be his mother. Mrs. Bear didn't look like him at all. Chaco was so sad, he started to cry. Mommy, mommy, I need a mommy. And I even hear the word Abba in that sentiment. Mrs. Bear came running to see what was the matter. As she listened to Chaco's story, she sighed, Oh dear, if you had a mommy, what would she do? I'm sure she would hold me, sobbed Chaco. Like this, asked Mrs. Bear, and she held Chaco very tight. Yes, and I'm sure she would kiss me, said Chaco. Like this, asked Mrs. Bear, and she lifted Chaco and gave him a big kiss. Yes, and I'm sure she would sing and dance with me to cheer me up, said Chaco. Like this, asked Mrs. Bear. And they sang and danced together. When they stopped to rest, Mrs. Bear turned to Chaco and said, Chaco, maybe I could be your mother. You, Chaco cried, but you aren't yellow. And you don't have wings or big round cheeks or striped feet like me. My goodness, said Mrs. Bear, that would make me look very funny. And Chaco thought it was funny too. Well, said Mrs. Bear, my other children are waiting for me at home. Why don't you join us for apple pie, Chaco? Apple pie sounded wonderful to Chaco. So off they went. Do you like apple pie? No? All right. That's okay. (laughs) When they arrived, Mrs. Bear's other children rushed out to greet her. Chaco, said Mrs. Bear, meet Hippy, Allie, and Piggy. They are my children too. I am their mother. The sweet smell of apple pie and the sound of laughter soon filled Mrs. Bear's home. After their delicious treat, Mrs. Bear gave all her children a big warm bear hug and Chaco was very happy that his new mommy looked just the way she did. Would you guys give our kids a hand? Thanks. You can go back to your seats. We knew there were kids in need and God has always told us, told all of us that we need to take care of the widows and orphans and we just took that to heart and knew that we needed to bring kids in. Being a mom doesn't really necessarily have to do with blood and genetics. Um, Obviously it can and it often does, but it surely doesn't have to. You know, it really is about that love and commitment that you feel towards a child, um, that unconditional love. I have learned how much I have to give of myself to them. These kids come to us with nothing, and how much I have to love them despite they're not my child, and I have to be their mom. It's a miracle 
and it's purposeful and it's a gift from God and that I love my children unconditionally and I've just learned to embrace every single moment that we have with our daughter, all the experiences that we share, the milestones, the birthdays, the um, just the unique, unique things. I just cherish them because she's just amazing and it's amazing to be a mom. As soon as you become a mom, nothing you do is about you ever again, ever. Everything you do is about those kids and it doesn't matter how you get there, how you become a mom, everything you do is for them. I've learned that moms have to give everything of themselves but yeah, I get so much back from especially my foster kids. I mean, I love my own kids so much, but these foster kids, they have nothing. And they give me so much. I feel like God worked really hard to get my attention. And I can say this now because it's in the past, it's hindsight. And I know when you're in it, it's impossible to see or feel, but um, infertility was a blessing to us. You know, we needed to have that seven years to be ready at the exact right moment for Mia. When the adoption came along, it was just a phone call that the birth mother wants us to be the parents of her daughter. And it was literally at that moment where it just all made sense. All of the heartache and all of the wondering if this would ever happen, it just, it was like this curtain lifted and I just got it. I was like, I get it, God. I, I get it, you know, it may not make sense today and it may not make sense tomorrow or even for some time after that, but someday it will. My heart had a lot more love to give and I didn't realize it until we adopted our daughter. The verse that always comes to my head is that when you invite the least of these into your home, you're inviting Jesus into your home and that is extremely humbling that I'm bringing these kids into my home, but I'm also bringing Christ into my home. The final verse from our reading today is a very important component of our identity as, as adopted children of God. Again, that, that legal component uh, that Paul is using, the metaphor of adoption, the part of that ceremony said you have all of the rights and responsibilities of a child. And as parents, we know that we give our children responsibilities because that's important. And in our church, we have responsibilities too as God's children. It says, if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. When, when we choose to love each other in this relationship, at, at Hope we call each other brothers and sisters, and it's not some cute thing that we say. We mean it. We are choosing to live in a relationship with each other as brothers and sisters related by spirit. We have a spiritual connection with each other, the same as we have a spiritual connection with God, and that can be difficult. It can be difficult to choose to love our brothers and sisters. It can be, choose, it can be difficult to choose to love people in our community who don't know about God's love for them, who don't know that there is a God in heaven who wants a relationship with them, who wants to adopt them too as God's children, that there's more than enough room in God's house for more people to feel his love and to be accepted and invited in. Mother Teresa, who is probably, well, she never was a biological mom, but she might be the most fitting person ever to have had that label or that identity as a mother. She cared for thousands and thousands of little children who had nobody to care for them, who the world had dismissed and left forgotten. 
didn't care about and thought that they didn't deserve or need love. And she said, I love them and I will treat them as my own children. And, and when she passed, Pope John Paul II at her funeral talked about this reality of what a mom really is. He said, a mother is recognized by her ability to give herself to another. And I feel like if there is a lesson for us in what a true mom is and the relationship we have with God and his identity, our relationship as adopted children is that we have love that we didn't deserve given freely to us. And we have to give that to the people in our world who don't have it for themselves yet so that they can discover how deep God's love is for them. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your love. Thank you that you let us call you dad, that we have a relationship with you as adopted children. I pray that that would be something that that we take away from today. I know that uh, even in my own life, I won't be able to understand that uh, fully ever, but I pray, God, that you would help each one of us every day reflect on our relationship with you as your child. And I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, drive out the fear in our hearts from that relationship. Help us to understand truly who you are as one who loves us and who sees us as your, your precious children. So thank you for what you've shown us today. Uh, thank you for this church where we get to experience these relationships. We ask your blessing and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.